Paul wrote to Timothy and said, The foundation of the Lord stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his. And let everyone that names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. What a blessing to be known by the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent creator of everything. And if you don't yet know him, that is what he offers to you. To be known. See, I think we are all born with this innate need to be known and to be loved in spite of everything that we know we are. You know what you're like when you're alone and away from everybody else and don't have your good behavior on. And you have a desire to be known and loved in spite of that. And that is what God offers you. Those of us who are known by the Lord. It's not an excuse to do whatever we want, but it's like this unconditional mercy and grace and love that we receive from Him. One of my favorite scriptures says, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, which walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you have been saved by God's grace, God cannot look on you with criticism or any negative feeling because of Jesus. He looks at His children through Jesus Christ who is perfect. If you understood that, if I could get us to really understand that, I would sit down. That's part of the point of life, to realize God loves you unconditionally because of nothing you've done and everything Jesus has done. Because of nothing you are and everything Jesus is. Do you realize the burden that would lift if you could grasp that? Not in your mind, but in your heart. God loves you. He loves you. We're told clearly in Scripture, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. Jesus laid down his life. I'm, as I mentioned, very recently newly married. And I think, as of this point, we've still spent more time in the hospital than at home. And we, we, my wife and I, we said jokingly, uh, we wanted to go ahead and test our vows right from the beginning. Get the bad part out of the way first. And we said it jokingly, but truly. Love is, it's nothing like the movies. It's not, and some of you have been married 65 years or 60 years or 40 years or 10 years. You know better than I do. But it's sacrifice and it's, it's putting your own needs beneath and behind the needs of someone else. And that is exactly what Jesus did for us. What He does for us. So as my grandfather, my mentor in the gospel, I guess he said this as much as anything else. Don't be too hard on yourself. Job, after he spent... I don't know if y'all have read that book lately. I've been reading it for the last couple of weeks. And I think it could have been shortened from 40 plus chapters to about three 
If Job would not have been trying to justify everything about himself, I'm, I haven't done anything wrong, God's punishing me and all this, and he would have just realized what Elihu told him, that it's all about God. And he said to Job, do you think you have any impact, I'm paraphrasing, do you think you have any impact on God whether you sin or whether you don't sin? Who do you think you are, Job? Like you being good is going to help God or you being bad is going to hurt God. Do you understand what it means to be omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent? God's everything. Nothing we do is going to change who He is. So relax. And that's not my sermon, but it was on my heart. So we'll start with that. Psalm 139, if you want to read. I'll give you a moment to get there. Psalm 139. And I'll read most of it, if not all of it, just for a good uh, foundation for this message. The title that's really on my heart, The Lord Knows. It's going to be the thrust, the theme, the purpose of my entire effort today is to convince you the Lord knows. Whatever the question, the Lord knows. Whatever the problem, the Lord knows. Whatever need you have, the Lord knows. Not only does he know you and me, he knows everything. I'll try to expand on that. Psalm 139. Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. I'm trying not to be too emotional, but do you know? I mean, have you really thought about lately what it means to actually be known and loved in spite of who you are? I told somebody, and I don't. I say this; it sounds funny, but I, but it hurts my heart. I said I, I thought I was a pretty nice person until I got married, and I realized how selfish I am. You know what? The Lord knows that, and He loves me anyway. Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know my down sitting, my uprising. I don't understand this. My thoughts are far off. <laughs> God doesn't have to try to figure out what we're talking about. He knows what we're thinking before we even try to explain it to Him. Communication with humans is hard, isn't it? Sometimes you you completely misunderstand each other. You go back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes you need an interpreter. Sometimes you need some type of therapist or counselor to help you communicate. God already knows what you're trying to say before you say it. He knows what you're thinking before you think it. What a blessing to be known by the omnipotent Lord. David says, you compass my path and my lying down, you're acquainted with all of my ways. There's not a word in my tongue, but Lord, you know it all together. You've beset me behind and before, you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain unto it. Where shall I go from thy spirit, or where shall I flee from thy presence? (laughs) You can't get away from God. If you don't know the Lord yet, that might scare you. If you're not serving the Lord, that might scare you. But those of us who are trying to serve the Lord, that is the most comforting thing I can think of. I can't go anywhere to get away from God. No matter where I am, He'll be there with me, He'll protect me, and He'll help me. 
If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. We get uncomfortable with darkness and difficulties. There's no difference to God. He's still just as much God. You have possessed my reins. You've covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knows right well. I'm just going to skip ahead to 17 and 18. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they're more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Search me, this is 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Can that be your prayer this morning? Search me, O God, and know... Do you really want God to know you? Are you afraid of what He might unearth? That's what it means when He says, You have searched me. That word is talking about digging down deep and finding out what's under the surface. And to me, all of you look like nice, lovely, wonderful, kind people. But underneath that little surface of soil, there might be weeds or rocks or poison. God knows. Do you really want to be searched out by God? By the word of God who pierces the dividing asunder of soul and flesh and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Do you want God to know your thoughts and your intents? It's the only way to be free. Oh, it might scare you, but that's the only way to have freedom in life. To surrender yourself in complete vulnerability and helplessness to being known by the one who made you to be known by him. That's why you were created. To be known by God and to know Him. Everything else is noise. Everything else is distraction. All the jobs you think you have to do, all the important stuff you think God might have given you, it's all noise. You were created to know Him. Period. And if we could really realize that, we would have some grasp of why Jesus came. He said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. We would have some grasp of abundant life if we could just grasp that. But I want to explore this idea of God knowing. The Lord knows. Not only does He know you, but He knows. Period. He's the only being in the universe that you can accurately say, the Lord knows dot, dot, dot. doesn't matter what comes after. Even our adversary, the devil, doesn't know everything. He doesn't know the future. He can't read your mind. He knows human nature and he knows the past and so he can predict what you're going to do and and push your buttons. But he doesn't know everything God knows. Sometimes we act as if he does. First, the Lord knows, this is Psalm 1 verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of my life fretting about uh, inequalities in the world and things not being the way they should and praying as, as the psalmist said, Lord, this, basically this isn't fair. How come the wicked prosper? How come so many good things happen to them? How come you haven't killed them yet? 
The Lord knows the way of the righteous. You don't have to worry about it. Let him know you. Not just the ungodly, not just the people who reject God, not just the wicked people who hurt innocent people, but the, the way of the ungodly will perish. The whole system of carnal self-reliance is going to burn up. It's going to disappear. Stop worrying about it. What is this way of righteousness that God has called us to? It says the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Proverbs 4.18, I love this verse. The path, I'm just going to give you a, a paraphrase. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. They keep shining brighter and brighter throughout the day. But the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. They do not know what makes them stumble. You know, I say don't be too hard on yourself, but also don't be too hard on sinners. Don't be too hard on your enemies. I mean, Jesus gave, that, uh, gave us that example, which is contrary to our flesh. But He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you know how sad it would be to stumble through life spiritually blind your whole life? We should have pity on them and pray for them. And I'm saying that, but I used to be them before God saved me. Don't even know what they're stumbling at. The way of righteousness that we're talking about is laid on a foundation of total dependence and reliance upon God. The way of wickedness is laid on a foundation of self-reliance and self-dependence. And this goes all the way back to Cain and Abel, the very creation. The Lord had a decree established that Adam taught his sons, no doubt. And when they came to him and offered their sacrifices, and Abel offered a sacrifice of humility and a lamb and what he was supposed to offer, the Lord accepted it. And Cain offered a sacrifice of his own works. And God said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you don't, sin lies at your door. What is he talking about doing well? Doing what God commanded. The way of righteousness is simple. I didn't say it's easy. It's simple. Do what God wants. And a lot of us who grew up in church, that's almost too easy. You want to have a happy life? Do what God wants. Do what God wants you to do. Say, well, I don't know what He wants you to do. Well, I'm going to get into that just a little bit. Brother Hackett said this in his testimony earlier. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. One of the best pieces of life advice I've ever been given was from a man named Brother Snowden, who at the time was over 90 years old. This was some years back. World War II veteran. And I decided I would try to get some wisdom from him. So I said, Brother Bill, what kind of advice do you have for a young man? And I thought he would tell me something like plant some trees or buy this kind of stock, or, or buy some land. I thought he was going to give me practical advice. And he really thought about it for a minute, and then he looked at me and he said, you just serve the Lord. He'll take care of you. See, I thought I would gain some practical worldly wisdom from this man who had about 70 years on me, and then that would help my life. And his practical wisdom was, serve God. Everything else will be added to you. 
And we've heard that, and people have preached it, and some of us maybe have lived it at different times. But I'm telling you, my life has been a testimony of the faithfulness of God. If you just try to serve Him, He will take care of you. Oh, our hearts are so deceitful, they're so distracting, and if we allow them to be, they're wicked. But we're told, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know what that means? Letting go of all of this self-reliance you have. Maybe that word doesn't apply to you. Maybe your thing is figuring it out on your own. Maybe your thing is trying to make it predictable. Maybe your thing is trying to make a plan. You have to let go of all of that if you're going to trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's no room for trusting anything else. The moment you start trusting something else, you start robbing yourself of peace. The moment you try to uh, put yourself in the place of God's understanding, you start robbing yourself of joy. Psalm 94.11 says, The Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are vanity. There's a little better translation of that. I want to try to to get into it. The word translated thoughts there, it could could be translated as thoughts or contrivances or inventions or cunning works or curious works. Basically, it's the plans that you come up with. And let's look at just a few scriptures of how that's used. It'll help us understand it better. Genesis 6.5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination and the thoughts, that's that word, of their hearts were only evil continually. They're sitting around thinking, planning, scheming, coming up with ways. That's why God destroyed the earth. In Exodus 31, when Moses was seeking out people to work on the tabernacle, God told him to find people who were filled with his spirit to devise cunning works. This is why I want you to see this. It's more than just an absent-minded thought. They were going to, almost like architectural plans. It was that level of deep thinking. That's what this word can mean too. In 2 Chronicles 26.15, this word is used to, um, He made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be put on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones. This idea of your thoughts. It can be your, your planning and your inventions. It's all of your strategies. It is everything God has gifted your mind to do. That's what this is talking about, the thoughts of man. So maybe a better translation of that would be, the Lord knows all human plans that they are futile. That should take a load off of you. Got any planners in here? You don't have to raise your hand. I don't know if I'm a planner or not, but, but when I try to figure out how to do something, there's one of two things that happens. Either I have a sense in my, deep in my just inner being, a calm, subtle sense that this is right, and I do it and I stop thinking about it. Or if I don't have that, which I think the first thing is the leadership of the Lord, the witness of his still small voice. If I don't have that, I might come up with 10 pages of pros and cons list and strategizing and all this. It's exhausting. It's so much easier to just trust the Lord. Maybe there's a place for both. But given the options, the alternatives, I would rather just trust the Lord than trust my own mind. My own mind just wears me out. In Isaiah, the Lord tells us, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You've been called to live a life that is in alignment with the thoughts of God, and yet you can't figure out His thoughts. You can't figure out His thoughts. Say, well, that's hopeless. No, it's not hopeless. He reveals them to you through His Spirit. You can understand His thoughts through divine revelation. It's different than trying to figure them out through mental comprehension. God wants to reveal His desire and His will to you. He wants you to be able to almost read His mind, as it were, through the revelation of His Spirit. To come to know Him like He knows you. That's what He wants. And the more you do that, the less you have to worry about your plans and figuring things out and everything that you might be doing right or wrong. You can let go of all that. Let's look at a few people in Scripture and how they lived through their life actions with this, uh, I don't know, motto, the Lord knows. And I want to tell you again, because that's what's on my heart. If you can get to the point where whatever situation you're faced with, you can stop trying to rely on yourself and just say, the Lord knows, I don't. He knows. That's enough for me. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them around about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? Oh, I love his response. It's so true and so short. It's the best response he could have given. Lord, you know. He didn't resort to science. He didn't resort to psychology. He didn't resort to magic. He said, Lord, I don't know, but you do. God is asking him, do you think I can bring back to life not just dead bodies, but dead bones with no flesh on them? And his response is a simple response of faith. You know. What if when God came to us with the dead bones surrounding our lives and said, do you think I can fix that? And we said, Lord, you know. Instead of doubting and saying, no, it's not possible, it can't be done. If God could bring dead bones back to life, He can restore you to health. He can restore you to vibrance and spiritual capacity to serve Him. Lord, You know. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he said, I know a man in Christ, 14 years ago, who was caught up into the third heaven. And he saw things which were not lawful to be uttered. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. The Lord knows. And Paul didn't even refer to this as himself. He could have just said, this happened to me. It was so unimportant that it was he himself. He was making a point. But the bigger point that he was making is, I don't even know what happened, but God does. He said, God showed me something that I don't even understand if my body went with me or just my spirit. But the Lord knows. If you really want to have some revelation from the Lord, you will have to become comfortable with letting go of your theological cartwheels and understanding everything in your mind. It's okay to study and search out and try to know the truth, but at some point, if you want to hear revelation from God, you will have to be okay with saying, I don't understand this, but the Lord knows. I still don't know how God saved my soul. 
I've been trying to explain it to people the rest of my life. And I still don't understand it. But the Lord knows. All I know is that blind man who was blind from birth and they came to him and they said, is this, this person who healed you is evil? And he said, whether he's evil or not, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. See, he didn't try to understand something that was outside of his capacity to understand. And that's what I, I want to do in my life. I don't know how God did it. I don't understand the mechanics. All I know is I was lost and now I'm found. I was drowning in my own sin and despair. And now I have the light of the freedom of Jesus. I was afraid and now I'm not. You know how little fear I have in my life? Because of God. The Lord knows. Paul went on in Colossians and said, Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Those kind of people go into great detail about what they've seen and they're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. You know who the Lord finds more useful? A humble servant who says, I don't understand, but God's good. I'm not saying you should be dumb or uninformed or unintelligent, ignorant, none of that. God's not pleased with any of that. What He's pleased with is an honest heart. And an honest heart says, I can never attain unto what God is and what He knows. The Lord knows. Abraham is maybe one of my favorite examples of this living Statement of the Lord knows. If you want to know what faith is, scriptural faith, you have to look at Abraham. People say faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's, that's a description of faith. It's not the definition. The definition of faith is found in the life of Abraham. Abraham believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. Abraham trusted the Lord, Period. God called him to go into a land that he uh, wasn't familiar with, didn't know what would happen, didn't know anything. And he left. And with his actions, he said, the Lord knows. I don't know what to expect. I don't know where I'm going. The Lord knows. That was enough. That's what faith is. Faith really is saying, the Lord knows. And not flippantly, but with just complete surrender. I don't know, but God does. Could you imagine being the most rich man in your region? That Abraham was. Lots of uh, servants and, and livestock and crops. And God said, leave all of this. And go to a place. And Abraham says, well, where am I going? He says, I'll tell you when you get there. How about that for marching orders? I'd be okay with go over there a thousand miles away to that place. He just says, start going in that direction. And when you get there, I'll tell you. The Lord knows. And Abraham, that's why he's the father of faith. When God later in life came to him and said, I want you to sacrifice your only son to me. I love how the Hebrew letter says it. Abraham accounted that God was able to raise Isaac up even from the dead where he actually received him back metaphorically. Imagine what went on in the mind and heart of Abraham. He'd been waiting his whole life for this son. Him and his wife were old. 
And by the way, I'm going to get into this near the end of the message. God has not only a plan and a purpose, but also timing. And if you get ahead of the timing of God, you can't fulfill the purpose of God. They tried that, but don't create an Ishmael because the rest of his life he'll be battling against God's Isaac. That's what happened. God gave them a promise. They didn't understand the timeline. They got impatient. They got scared. They created a child through their own means, which was sinful. I mean, how? and I know the circumstances and culture were different back then, but could you imagine your wife, if you're married, saying, here, take this woman and, and, and make a baby with her? That's what they did. You know that's not how God intended you to fulfill His plan. He never requires sin to accomplish His righteousness. If God has promised, then what is for us to do is wait on Him to fulfill His promise. So after all these years, Abraham finally has Isaac. Isaac says, I want, God says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac, your only son. <laughs> Could you imagine what was going through his head? But at some point, he got to the point where he said, God gave me this child from my wife's barren womb. My wife's expired womb. He gave me this child from the dead. He could raise him back to the dead if he chooses. Isn't that beautiful? But here's the thing. Abraham had no promise of that. If he had killed Isaac, he didn't know if God would raise him. He just knew he could. The Lord knows. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Anybody know who they are? Here's how the Babylon world works that we live in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know who they are. Those were their Babylonian names. Their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their Hebrew names all had to do with God. Their Babylonian names that they were given had to do with false god Nebo. I love how they live their life. Nebuchadnezzar was told that they're not worshiping him. And he brought him before him and he said, is this true? If it is, I'm going to burn you up in my fiery furnace. When all the music plays, you have to bow down to this 90 foot tall golden image. And here's what they told him. The Lord knows. They said, we're not careful to answer you, O king, in this matter. Our God, whom we serve, can deliver us. Whether He will or not, we don't know. But we will not bow. The Lord knows. He said to the Urias, I'm going to kill you if you don't bow to me. You might kill me, you might not, but I can't bow. I can't. Because God has redeemed me from death that you can't even understand. And He's given me life in His Spirit. And if I go back on that, then I'm walking away from the person who rescued me. I can't do it. No matter the cost, I can't do it, King. Will we die? I don't know. The Lord knows. And we see in their lives, and I want you to grasp this, because church people have a misconception about what faith is. Sometimes we think faith is expecting a particular outcome and latching onto that with all our energy and strength and then being mad when that outcome doesn't happen. That's not what faith is. There is uncertainty in faith. Faith is not relying on an outcome, it's relying on God. Brothers and sisters, we were created in order to serve the Lord. 
not to merely decipher, establish, and perpetuate our own righteousness. Too many religious people live their lives as if their job is to figure everything out and then just force themselves to follow what they figured out in their mind. That's not what God called us to. Oh, you can be righteous. Then you can be like Job and for more than 30 chapters talk about how righteous you are and how unfair life is. And how you need an arbiter to go between you and God. You know what he could, the book of Job could have been one chapter. The Lord knows. All his buddies came. You know why you're suffering so much? I don't, but God does. You know how much easier his life would have been? And I still don't understand that book, but I get to the end of it and I see what happened and I wonder, and the very last part, it says Job repents. He says to the Lord, I had heard of you with the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, what happened when he saw God? I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. What if he could have realized that 30 chapters earlier? (laughs) The Lord knows. I talked about faith a little bit. I want to expand on that because too many people, and this applies to a lot of religious people, too many people are disillusioned by this disappointment that comes from a false form of faith. People are often disappointed in God or what they think is God. And the reason for that is they've trusted in an outcome rather than in a person. They've placed their hope in assumptions about the near future. They've placed their hope in something that they want to happen. They've come up with something they want and they've said within themselves, I'm going to get this thing or that thing. And they forgot that their eyes have to be fixed on God. We've all heard these kind of expressions. And I'm not going to be a whole lot longer, so, so bear with me. Uh, just claim it in faith. Just claim the promises of God for your own. That's not what faith is. Faith is not stealing a promise God gave somebody else, superimposing on top of your life, and then hoping with everything you have in you that it will happen for you too. That's not faith. Faith is trusting the Lord in the face of uncertainty. Faith is remaining uncertain about the near future and still trusting the Lord. Because you don't know what's going to happen. I remember some of the worst nights with my wife in the hospital... And she lost the use of her legs at that point. And she said, um, what if this spreads and I can't use my hands? I said, well, we'll figure it out. The Lord knows. He'll help us. I'm not telling you about my faith. I'm telling you that that was more comforting. Holding on to something real, which is, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know God. That's more comforting than saying, ah, babe, that's not going to happen. We'll just claim in faith and it won't happen. Because you know what had happened. And I watched her get worse and worse and worse. And one day, probably one day away from getting on a ventilator and being intubated, really no use of anything but her head. And the whole time, the most comforting thing was when we prayed, God, you know what we need. These doctors don't. They're trying, but they don't know. They even told us, this disease has to run its course. There's nothing else we can do. Well, what can we expect? Well, you're just going to keep getting worse until you stop getting worse. Well, when am I going to stop getting worse? We don't know. Two or three weeks. Well, how worse am I going to get? Well, some people it goes this far, but we don't know. 
They knew not, they, 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 were, they were limited because they're men, but the Lord knew. Do you understand? There was comfort in surrendering to that uncertainty of faith in the Lord. He knows. I can't do anything about it. The Lord knows. Faith. I've already said this, but I, I want to try to sum it up. Faith is trusting God in the midst of the unknown. Not superscribing something you think will happen on top of the unknown. The unknown is still there with faith. That's the difference. The realm of faith is what God knows, not what we know. We have to be careful, and this, brothers and sisters, is dangerous. We have to be cautious about claiming or saying something will happen when God didn't clearly reveal that it will. Because all that does is discredit us to everybody around us. And there's times when God does reveal that something will happen, but we're ignorant about the timing, and we need to be careful about that too. It's dangerous and it's folly to tell somebody this will happen this time or that. You don't know. What is your life? It is just a vapor. What did James say? Go to now you that say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a city and buy and sell and get gain. You don't know that you will. Your life's a vapor. It would be better if you said, if the Lord wills. What's James saying? James say you should live by saying the Lord knows. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes the Lord present, prevents from happening this future that you're sure He has promised you of. He prevents it from coming to pass in the timing you expect because you're trusting in a perceived promise of God rather than God Himself. You, understand? you can't have too much faith in God because He keeps on being God whether what you expect to happen happens or not. And I wish I would have understood this in my 20s. But 20-year-olds are... Can I just... 20-year-olds are stupid. I don't know how else to say it. I remember, and I'm sure I'll think this in my 40s and 50s too, but I remember turning... I was 28. And there was like an awakening in my mind, and I said, I, I didn't even know how to think until now. And people who knew me would say I was a pretty old soul, deep thinker, thoughtful person, but I didn't even understand how to think. And you know what that was? It was a realization the Lord knows I don't. I stopped trying, I stopped caring about winning debates and arguments. I don't, I don't care. The Lord knows. And I wish I had known this. All this frenetic energy that you expend in trying to accomplish the promise of God. That might be the very thing preventing God's promise from coming to pass. Maybe He's waiting for you to wait on the Lord so He can work for you. I would have saved myself a bunch of energy in my 20s. If I would have understood what it meant to wait on the Lord a little bit better. But God has to use those circumstances to teach us, doesn't He? Watchman Nee says this, God takes no pleasure in what we ourselves do, but He is delighted only with our waiting on Him. You want to serve the Lord? Wait on the Lord. God doesn't need you to do something important for Him. He just needs your heart. He just wants you. 
It's, it's simple. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. What does that mean? The Lord said this, I'll write my law in their hearts and they'll serve me. People came to Jesus on more than one occasion and said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang the whole law and prophets. You want to serve the Lord, love the Lord. You want to serve the Lord, love people. That's it. That's it. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's simple. In Micah 6.8 it says it this way, and this maybe is the easiest summation. He has showed you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love kindness and mercy, and to humble yourself and walk humbly before your God. What does God want you to do? Be kind to people as much as you can. Do the right thing as much as you can. Humble yourself under the hand of the Lord, and He'll exalt you in due time. Just love the Lord. We really love Him. Everything else will fall in place. I want to read you something in closing. That is, uh, it's not polished or anything, I, but I, it was on my heart. I tried to write it. Um, Lord, You know. Everything that I don't know, Lord, You know everything. Everything that was, everything that is, and everything that will be, everything that is within me, every need I have, every sin I haven't confessed, every truth I haven't professed, things hidden even from me in the black darkness of my own mind, until you cause your radiance to shine, Lord, you know. So why, why, why would I ever again depend on me, myself, and my own mind? Oh, I remember that moment of surrender when I cried out with everything in me, Lord, you know. And you, by your grace, saved me. 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 The rest of my life has been filled with perpetual reminders that, indeed, you alone know. You know me better than I know myself. In the worst of times, you protect me. In the best of times, you sustain me. For the rest of time, you're for me. And yet, I... Feeble dirt man that I am, dare to rely on my own mind when self-reliance is a lie? Why? Lord, you know. You alone know. You know how to deliver me from the meltdown of my own mind when the terrors come at night. And worse, when I'm strong in my own strength, you break me. And you use that brokenness to remake me so that I will never again depend on that lie the illusion of self-reliance until I do it all over again. Why? Lord, you know. And I see that I am surrounded by mercy because you know me and yet you love me. You know me and yet you love me. That's really the gospel. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. I don't know why the Lord loves me, but he does. I sure am thankful. He loves you too. And you could experience His love if you surrender yourself to Him. I'm finished with what the Lord gave me to do today. There might be something that you need to do. There might be something on your heart. And um, I want us to have maybe a, one verse of a song. Just to Sometimes people need a minute for the message to kind of sink in. So I, I want us to do that. And then after that, if there's something on your heart, please follow the Lord.